Welcome back to Between Two Buffs. I'm Master Sergeant Tamika Morgan from the 2nd Security Forces Squadron. And I am Captain Kaylin Haney from the 2nd Operations Support Squadron. Today we'll be talking about women's history since it begins Women's History Month. It is. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. I just want to start off with a little history <laughs> because it's Women's <laughs> History Month. Um, for one, it's there is so much that you could research, so many hours you could get into uh, just speaking on women's history back through the times. But I really just want to focus on the three waves of feminism and what feminism has been pushed through the ringer, dragged through the mud, seen as a negative at times um, because there is a hundred years plus of of the feminism movement and that's starting with women's suffrage. So women's suffrage, the right to vote, last year was the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment and which is incredible for so many reasons but it is also not that long ago. It's only 100 years in the scheme of history that's a short amount of time and women fought in an era that it was just unheard of. Uh, chaining themselves to the White House, going on hunger strikes, uh, trying to be heard at a equal level, that they do have brains, they do have an opinion, they do have a, a intelligible thought process that is no different than the male counterpart. And so that was a incredible um, feat for women. And that just opened the doors for to be at the table. Now, you move into through the second wave of feminism, which is, I think, where the negative connotation comes from, and that is the equal, the equal rights portion of the 60s and the 70s. And um, in that era, just so much of, a, of awakening, if you will, especially the civil rights movement and women wanting to be at that table for work, being at that equal table, um, not having to have their husband sign off for a credit card, having their own mortgages, not having, it, it was essentially asking permission to live uh, on your own and be, and be heard. And then you move into that third wave of feminism where we are today and it's equality. It is encompassing the boxes that we live in, encompassing the disenfranchised and pulling them together and being like, hey, you know, we are not, we are different on so many levels when it comes to different aspects of history but really we, we're the same we want to be at the table with an equal vote with an equal right to speak with no questions you know trying to get past the firsts being the first Native American or being the first Native American woman who uh, is Secretary of Interior being the first female vice president first female vice president of color it's you know when are these firsts going to end and it just be that this is a qualified individual in a position to serve or in a position of a company. And and I think that that is where is, is exciting. It's that new awakening. It's getting people to come to the table. And the chief says it so well. Instead of putting more chairs at the table, instead of tightening that table, making it a longer, putting our friends at the table to speak and to learn and to understand. And... Um, just Women's History Month is about that. It's about coming together and understanding that, so we're different, but that doesn't mean that we have to fit into these boxes. 
And so uh, I know that was a little long-winded, but I really want to tell a story. I just got finished reading uh, The Hello Girls, which is about the Signal Corps in World War I. Uh, with women's history in, in the military, a lot of people start with World War II and the WASPs. But the Signal Corps women were really the first in the U-mates of the Navy. And um, when it comes to World War One, so much had changed in, in obviously fighting war, but with chemical warfare, but also the telephone was instrumental to be moving large masses of people on a battlefield. And the telephone played a pivotal role. And for whatever reason, uh, AT&T and the Bell Company uh, felt that women were better than men at being operators. So when you made a phone call, you picked up your little teller and you got connected to a lady. She'd answer the phone or answer the line, ask what number. She'd take your line and physically connect it into the switchboard. And so when the United States was going into World War I, only 2% of France's infrastructure was actually telephone. So the United States had to build that infrastructure up and they sent over 223 women in uniform to man those, the switchboards. And yes, they weren't in the trenches, but they were very close. They were under bombardments. They were working directly for General Pershing, uh, the AEF commander out there. And they, um, they took an oath. They wore a uniform. They were considered cadets. Um, they served honorably. And when they came home, the Army told them they were never part of the Army. Wow. And it took them until 1977 to receive their honorable discharges from the Army. And it is because they are so visceral that they didn't want women, but yet they served and wanted to serve and eagerly wanted to serve their country like so many of us today. And, um, and it's just a, an incredible story. I urge every woman who's in the military to read it or to watch it. There's a great documentary on Amazon, The Hello Girls. Uh, but that really brings me into wanting wanting to know your story because uh, I've talked way too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you haven't. Um, so, okay. So with that, I can share maybe a story that was challenging for me um, as coming up in, in the military. So when I joined at 17, leaving my parents' house, uh, I really joined initially because I was a little lazy and I didn't want to go to college. So little did I know when I came in, first thing they hit me with was CDCs and I was going to have to indeed do college courses. So uh, my first base was Angelic Air Base Turkey. Um, being in a male-dominated career field, it was really tough for me as an airman. You know, I felt like I always had to compete with the boys or be in a box or always prove myself and, uh, you know, show them that I was also capable. I can do what he can do too. So I can remember always having to carry because I was a female and because I was small, you know, they said, well, you need to carry the machine gun. You need to carry the M240 Bravo. That thing is heavy. It was heavy. Um, so yeah. And we would do exercises um, in the restricted area, you know, where I had to you know, mount from or uh, get out of my vehicle and run with the 240. So carrying this heavy machine gun and then bounding. So, uh, you know, you're running, I'm up, they see me, I'm down. And then I fall to the ground with this machine gun. So, uh, but I didn't complain. I wouldn't complain because the dudes could do it too. So um, I would do it. But it, it was tough. It was heavy. And I wanted to cry so bad, but I didn't. So um, that's definitely a time in my career where it's it's been trying because I felt like I had to prove myself, 
you know, in this career field. So it's, yeah. I think that all of us, you know, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think a strong majority, it's, it's having those times in your career or just even in life where it's, I have to prove or I feel that I have to make sure that I make this point or act this way or do this job, even if it's physically t- difficult or mentally difficult or in whatever career field you're in. And, and it's, you know, just having that thought process in your head of, of having to think about that, mm-hmm. having to always establish whatever status quo you have to yep. to ensure that, that you're treated the same. So with all these wonderful, amazing stories of women and in military, I want to I want to know who let's break break mill and just get to Tamika of who inspires you, who who has who has lessened your burden, if you will. So the person that inspires me the most, uh, my female role model would have to be my grandma. So my grandma, Minnie, um, she's incredibly strong. Uh, she passed away about three years ago when I was stationed in, in Italy, but she really was the backbone of my family. Um, she held us together. She was the first one to purchase, make a major purchase in our family. So what she did was she purchased her home so that, you know, after she passed, she knew that we would be well taken care of. So What year is that? Do you know? That she purchased the home? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Probably about maybe 25 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. I know she did. Um, so that home is still in our family today. Um, she made sure to, like, give the deed to my cousin, and then we have to, like, agree to sell the house. She made us all promise we wouldn't sell the house before she passed away. But uh, she was was very instrumental in who I am today. So um, my mom is in my life, and she played a major role as well, but I've spent a lot of time, you know, being from the South, you know, mom had to go to work, so she would drop me off at grandma's house, and that's where I spent a lot of my time at. But she developed and molded me, and you know, to who, to who I am today. So, do you have any, any like stories at all? Oh my gosh! Um, like one that just comes up. In your head. You said that, and I'm trying to find something <laughs> very like like influential and positive, and all that came to my mind was me not getting home before the street lights came on <laughs> and she came down the street with a switch and I was on this red BMX bike, my little bicycle, and she walked all the way down the street and got me with that switch. But <laughs> it's so funny, kids nowadays have no idea. Yeah, they don't know. What they that don't even means. know what street lights are. Like so they're like, wait what? <laughs> yeah. It's just like text no, me mom when it's you're not home before those street yeah. lights. <laughs> you yeah. knew you're in trouble. <laughs> yep. So that's what I remember about her, uh mostly. So what about you? Oh, I've got I've got a lot of amazing women in my life. My mother and my sister are I mean fire. Like I grew up with a mama that she was so powerful. Like just so her. Mm-hmm. And the way we were raised was to have an opinion, say what you want, be strong, be independent. My sister just embodies the kind of boss if you will, that comes in. I always think she always reminds me of Queen Bee because uh, she just, she, anything that comes on her plate, it just is like kill. She kills it. She kills it. Like she is just on point all the time. And um, my grandmother who passed away last year, 
she was far beyond her years. That woman was a she she was a force. <laughs> um, at her funeral, she had um, sorry, this is a funny story. She had the Corinthians like love is patient, love is kind, and the priest was like, I don't know why she chose this, but she was none of those. And I was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did he really say that? <laughs> but she just, she was her. It, mm-hmm. I think that the women in my life have just, have just embodied to be you yep. and not apologize for that. And I, I think that's just such a strong message to, to give nowadays with everything that's out there, social media, with body personification, with, you know, everything is in your face and they're in their kids' faces and in little girls' faces of, you know, Instagram filters and plastic surgery to get those filters and or to look like those filters it just I think nowadays it's just ever more you know what new box you need to fit in to be to be fit a certain female type that that I just think is you know through the generations it just doesn't change that female type you will not make it to the next level unless you look this way unless you act this way unless you are this certain personality and it just it's frustrating it is so frustrating and I know our male counterparts have that in their face as well you know but it's just it's a different level yeah I totally agree yeah yeah it's such a different level I've been there I've uh, actually been asked you know when I've PCS'd into a to a location hey you're here and you know you're a female NCO so are you a female dog or are you a pushover? Yeah. And I said, I'm I'm Tamika. You know, I'm Sergeant Morgan. I <laughs> nice don't, to meet you. Right. That's I don't go into boxes. So thank well, you. you know? I mean that's that's what we're that's what we deal with constantly. It's yep. it's hey, we want you to be at the table, but don't don't be too loud. Mm-mm. You know, oh well, we want you to be a leader, but don't be too bossy because then you are a female dog. Yep. Or don't be a yes woman, but oh, still we want you to fit this mold. And it's like back and forth and back and forth and mixed messages constantly where, you know, our male counterparts can be assertive and they can be dominating right. and they're considered a great leader. But if I do the same, it's like, oh yeah, she's she's loud. it's it's just it's different and and I think that a big part of having this conversation is putting that on the table that Mm -hmm. we all deal with fitting into whatever box but there are distinct differences and and that's it's just under it's just opening your ears to understand that that it is different and that even though it's 1920 (laughs) I mean (laughs) ha 2020 just kidding, I'm thinking about suffrage yeah. in my brain the vote that it's it's the same things just wrapped up differently correct I'll, I'll say something I'll go out on the limb here and say something PA stop me if I'm wrong here but uh I can remember seeing a post because everybody most people are heavily involved into social media um as you know now we have our first chief master in the air force you know uh chief master uh Joanne Bass and uh I know that she comments frequently on her social media page. Now, before her was Chief Master on the Air Force, Khalith O'Wright. He had a big personality, um, met him a couple times. Um, he could say something, and it was funny. It was great. He could comment back on social media, and everybody be like, yeah. And then Chief Bass comments, and is that her place? 
does the chief master on the Air Force supposed to comment on social media? What is she doing if she's coming, you know, on a staff sergeant's post? I've seen that, and I'm like, but it was okay when, when Chief Wright did it, you know? So why is it not okay if, if she does it? I just see her as a leader, and she's interacting with her force. That's my thing. She took time out of her day to, to comment or whatever. Same thing with Chief Wright, so I don't see why that's a problem. Yeah, but. it's a it's a different standard. Yep. And and just along those lines, it's you know, I hear a lot of, of people, whether whether it be military or non military, and it's it's like why are we continuing to have this conversation? I'm over it. Like I work with a lot of different females, it's fine, They're, everything's equal, whatever. Just fill in the blank. Yep. But it's it's the constant reminder, like just with this with that story, it's a constant reminder that that it is different that women in leadership roles or women in general in the military is different because there are so few. Like when you think about the statistics, there's about 20% female in the Air Force. And each career field is different. Like Intel, my career field is is strong 50-50. I've worked with a lot of different females. Being in the operations world, I sit in a room and most oftentimes I'm the only female maybe one other female aviator. And in in the aviation world, it's even less. And it's it's a constant, you know, just different standards. It's like you have one bad female leader and we're all that way. Yep. You know, it's a it's expectations that aren't always on our male counterparts that you constantly have to think, oh my gosh, how am I acting? How am I being perceived? You know, I'm carrying the next female leader behind me. You know, how am I acting to make sure that her time is not going to be difficult? And it's having that mindset of, like, we just think about so much more uh, at times, not saying all the time, than our male counterparts have to. And I think that that's where the – the question lies. That's why we have these conversations is to bring to bring things up like that, and um, and uh, comes to a very good question when we ca- when we talk about kids. And I I'm a sociology major. I love to ask questions to people to see what see how they'll react, how how they'll answer it. And I've made it a thing the last few years to ask my male counterparts, Have you at any point in your career? made choices to either have kids or not because you thought it would negatively impact your career. And I still have yet to have a male counterpart say, yes. Family planning is one thing. Getting married, you know, having a timeline, that's one thing. But have you cognitively thought that, oh, if I have a kid right now, it's going to negatively impact my chances of school or my chances of promotion or my chances to make that uh opportunity absolutely I've been there yeah I've, I, so I have two children mm-hmm. uh, my oldest is 14 um I can remember the first time uh well he's my first pregnancy so when I first got the news that I was pregnant with him uh I can remember looking at his father and I said and I was married stable relationship healthy marriage um we're in a good spot we're young but we're in a good spot and I was at my first duty location and I said, uh, what are we going to do? And he said, what What do you mean, what are we going to do? And I said, 
I mean, I have stuff I have to do. I have to, you know, get certified on my duty position. I have firing. I have all these things. And he looked at me confused because I was thinking about my career, you know. Um, and looking back on that, that's that's pretty hurtful. But in turn, I did that about four and a half years later. I did it again with my daughter. I had just returned from a deployment. Um, you know, I've been gone from my duty station for quite some time, about seven and a half months. So newly promoted staff sergeant. So it was time for me to get back, you know, go to uh, seven level school, my upgrade training, and then, you know, dive into my job, meet my new leadership team. And I come back and within, I want to say like six months, I was pregnant. And I was like, what? I have, you know, things, have, this is not the right time. But when is the right time? You know? Exactly. It's, so, I mean, I don't have children, mm-hmm. but I have many of friends that do. <laughs> and um, my brother is, uh, and his wife are expecting in May. And, and I think to myself, it's like, whenever is there a good time? Like, who is ever truly <laughs> ready for parenthood? But it's that question. It's those stories that, that I hear constantly is that you got the joy taken out of your first and your second pregnancy because um, the first thing in your mind was, oh, what about my job? And I know plenty of women on outside military think that too, but it is a constant fear of mine, to be 100% honest. Um, I'm married. I, you know, I'm in a great relationship, and it would be a blessing to have a child. But oh my gosh, I, I'm just like, oh, if I found out I was pregnant, I, I would be devastated. Yep. <laughs> I mean, and it's, it's so sad it to is. think that. It and is. it's. It's heart wrenching when, you know, and I, I can't, I can, I can sympathize, I can't empathize, but to be sitting there and, and not have joy in that moment, yeah. it, it's just, and that's just one, one thing of, of many is, is just having that thought of, you know, why? Yeah. Why? Simple. Shouldn't be that way. It should not be that hard. It's a, yes, biologically speaking, we have to carry the baby. Biologically yep. speaking, gotta have the baby. Gotta recover from having baby. And in the most part, sociologically speaking, women are the primary caregivers. Mm-hmm. And um, especially in this pandemic, women have gotten crushed. And women of color. Oh my gosh. And just to recover from from those from just getting hit and continuing just to get push down on because societally we're the caregiver because we have to bear the child but you know father can just as much take care of that baby as well yep but it's that oh no you're the mother you gotta you can't go on that deployment because oh my gosh you went on a deployment when your kid was a year you're a bad mother yep but that by society would never a male would never be asked Mm -hmm. that of like Oh, you went, your, your kid's year years old? Oh, I'm so sorry, man. I'm so sorry you had to go on that deployment. Yep. <laughs> it's just different. And I think that that's, that's, that's the question of, you know, that I think about and, and my brain's constantly moving. And, and sometimes it's really hard to talk to people about those differences because it's, it's like, well, males have this and males have that and males have this. And, and I was like, when... When were you given the right to vote? Do you talk about you getting the right to vote? 
granted, it was, you know, it was first white males and then white land-owning males. And then it changed to just white males and then black men. And, and then it's, you know, it just like, it's things in our history that it's like, have you ever fought for equal pay? Have you ever had to think about equal pay? Have you ever had to think about, you know, having to make life decisions based off of your your anatomical set? Yeah. And it's it's the it's trying just to open up a door of like like just take a step back and allow yourself to just feel something different than what you look in the mirror. And that every person has that a different story, mm-hmm. a different mindset. For sure. And it just is, it just blows my mind. So I really want to talk about the amazing changes that are happening with hair. Yes. And I know that there are a lot of people mad about that out there. And um, let's talk about it. I'm wearing let's. the braid. You You've are. got these beautiful locks. I do. Rocking them. Yeah. What What do you think? I love it. So um, so now my hair is natural. My hair has been natural for a couple of years. So that's how I have to achieve the locks. It has to be in a natural state, free of chemicals. But before the locks, I would wear my hair in braids as well, kind of like yours. But I would have to apply extensions. So previous to this location, like I said, I was in Aviano and I would have to pay people to do my hair. And it was euros over there, that's the currency. Mm-hmm. So I would spend about 120 euro to get my hair braided for about six hours so that I can put it in a neat professional bun. Um, and usually after I get my hair done, it, it hurts probably for about two or three days. So I'm pop- constantly popping Tylenol. So um, the the leaps and bounds of the Air Force has, has came and overcome with this new hair rig. I'm digging it and I'm loving it because I spent many of days with headaches, with uh, very expensive uh, hairdos. And, uh, you know, it, it's very uncomfortable when I have to put on my helmet. So when I had to put on my full battle rattle. So I'm, I'm super excited, especially about the braid that you're rocking over there. So, yeah. Your hair looks absolutely phenomenal. I love it. And um, I sat last week on the Textured Hair panel, Mm -hmm. and it was so much knowledge uh, because I have very different texture hair. It is, I did not have to worry about any of that, just that tight bun. And the bun, you know, I'd go home at night, I'd take the bun out, and I'd just massage my head because I'd just be painful. And, um, And I think that you know, all of the social media trolls that are coming out of like back in my day, I was like, you know what? There's a lot of things that happened back in your day yep. that are not good. Yep. <laughs> so I don't know what opinion you're thinking of, but yep. I think that it's professional. Great. And that brings with equality is that I think there should be beards. You can make, you if you can make a regulation for hair and standards, you can make a regulation for beards because so many men deal with razor bumps and pain yeah. and um, a large percentage of those men are black yeah. or of color and so I think that it's like let's let's roll this like I want to see some 1800s like like mustaches wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> just joking gotta talk about those the handlebars, <laughs> the handlebars. yeah we can talk about those no but I just think it is 
I think it's positive the direction that we're trending in and going forward. I think social media is a terrible thing. It's a great thing for connectivity, but you know, just like you were saying earlier, I mean, I I appreciate Chief, Chief Bass and I appreciate that she is authentic because I think a lot of our leaders in the Air Force lack authentic leadership. They lack the ability to reach out and it blows my mind. Like I cannot imagine being constantly berated for your behavior. Yeah. It just is a, it's a mind blowing thing. Yeah. I learn, I learn something new every day that I just like living in my little blinders <laughs> that I just don't see. Yeah. <laughs> but, she handles it with grace though. Oh, she, I mean, yeah. it's amazing. Just like with, you know, watching Madam Vice President Kamala Harris carry herself. And I'm just like, that is what if I ever had a daughter I want them to carry themselves with strong ambitions and and to have that and and one thing that I'm so proud of is wearing this uniform it 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 just every day I'm so humbled and proud and lucky to be able to to serve and and that's what I think matters most of all okay so if you could go back and tell yourself one thing when you were a second lieutenant uh, as far as giving yourself advice about being a woman in the military, what would it be? So um, the reason why I'm in the military is because my brother. He served uh, in 2000 to 2004. He was my just hero growing up. And um, and he was so honest and truthful. And he, he, he really instilled in me, if you're going to do something, then do it. Don't talk about it. And I think what I would tell myself is that mentality. Don't talk about it. Do it. You know, we can talk all day about what we want to do, about what we hope to do. And I would tell, you know, Second Lieutenant Ebner at the time, Mm -hmm. um, I would tell her, don't limit what you think you can do. Because you can. You know, you can. You don't have to check every box to apply for a job. You know, you don't have to feel like, oh, man, I'm not, oh, I don't reach that at 100%, then, oh, I shouldn't do that. No. If you want to do something, then do it. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I know myself, I probably could not go into combat. I think I, if I had to, <laughs> I would. Um, but I, I definitely know myself. And I'm like, you know, hoorah for yeah. <laughs> those women out there who are, who are, um, who are just killing it on uh, the combat rules. But it would just be, you know, don't talk about it. Don't feel like there's walls, that these subjective walls that we build around each other and around ourselves most of all. And lastly, what I would say is that is that embrace the moment. Embrace the moment and be proud to be a woman in uniform. Like there, oftentimes it's, you know, you, you kind of get that taken away in, in a way that, you know, you are 100 years ago, you know, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, you know, the first female fighter pilots weren't until the 90s. And it's, it's like this is, this is new for, for some people or it's different. You know, I got I, I got thanked in the uh, commissary parking lot from this woman. She was probably in her 60s. And she goes, she goes, oh, I just love seeing women in uniform. She's like, I grew up, I lived here on Barksdale, and there weren't there weren't few of them. And I was like, thank you so much. She's like, you just look so happy. And I was like, because I'm proud. 
I am so proud I get to do this. And it's exciting. And the Air Force has been amazing and has has just shown me so much more, so much more that I can accomplish. I know I'm on my soapbox. I want to hear yours. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, I'd have two messages for myself, but uh, like you said, the Air Force has afforded me such amazing opportunities. I always say that I grew up in the Air Force. The Air Force is absolutely my first job. I joined when I was 17, and my mom had to sign me over to the government. So I turned 18 yeah, in basic I bet she training. Was like, my baby. Yeah, she was. <laughs> she didn't want me to go, but I went. Um, so I would tell my, myself two things. Um, everybody has their own path, and you know everybody has different ways to get to success. Yours is yours. So travel your path. Stay in your lane. That's what I like to tell myself. Stay in your lane. You know, um, when I first came in, I like to look at, you know, peek and see what other people are doing. Oh, he's doing it that way. I'm going to do it this way too. No, you have your your own path. So take your own path. Um, and, you know, the sky's the limit. Break barriers. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing it right now, 2021. You know, Chief Bass, keep bringing her up. Breaking barriers. Since 1947. Um, So, yeah, uh, that's what I would tell myself. I was really shy and scared and, you know, when I first came in, afraid to speak up. But now I'm here. So, yeah, yeah. you're killing it. Yeah. I know I keep saying that. I'm like, I'm like, let's just kill it. (laughs) Just get out there. But, yeah, I think closing this out, you know, a message to – to those young lieutenants or young airmen, mm-hmm. um, even you know the chiefs and the seniors and out there, it is the more authentic that you can be, the more you can be, the more you like. That's what this Air Force needs, and and I urge I urge everyone to to go out there and and kill it. Yep. <laughs>